Welcome to the Command Post Podcast, powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Enterprise Training Manager. I am pleased today to welcome Kate Capolo, PhD, to today's podcast. Kate is currently an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska and a contract instructor at the National Fire Academy's Executive Fire Officer Program. Kate has worked in the defense industry as a research psychologist for the United States Navy and was a research statistician with the Orange County Fire Rescue Department in Florida. Her work has been published and presented internationally at conferences including the Fire Rescue International Research Symposium, the IFC's Community Risk Reduction Leadership Conference, and the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society annual meetings. Her passion for technology and the fire service led her to publish studies germane to our industry. Of particular note is her paper, Failing to Plan is Planning to Fail, Capturing the Pre-Incident Needs of Firefighters. Another one of her fascinating studies is evaluating the efficacy of 2D versus 3D building plans for fire ground incident command decision-making during a simulated structure fire. Her expertise is leading the way to help us all understand the science of pre-plans. It's great to have Dr. Kate Capolo as my guest today on the Command Post podcast. Kate Capolo, thank you for joining us on the Command Post podcast today. You have a very fascinating background um, that's near and dear to any of us who care about pre-plans and data management in the fire service. Gonna share a little bit about you know, your background and, and who you are before we, we kick off the conversation today. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm so honored to be here. So I'm Kate Capolo. I'm actually an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska Omaha. I've also worked as a contract instructor for the National Fire Academy Executive Fire Officer Program. I have extensive experience working with the fire service. Most recently, I was a postdoctoral researcher with the National Institute of Standards and Technology Public Safety Communications Research Division. I was jointly appointed there with Brown University, and I was in charge of leading the UI UX portfolio projects related to augmented and virtual reality for first responders. Additionally, I have extensive experience presenting and publishing my research. My work has been presented at IAFC's HAZMAT, um, at FRI, at uh, various academic conferences. So I'm really excited to be here. Uh, prior to joining academia, though, I actually worked in industry. So I was a research statistician for Orange County Fire Rescue in Florida. Okay. And I was also a research psychologist with the U.S. Navy, where I worked with F-18 Top Gun pilots. So my background is actually focused in human factor psychology. And then my graduate work specifically focused on modeling and simulation or emerging technologies specifically in the context of the fire service. My research plan to date has really focused on pre-incident planning. So for about the past five to six years, I've been immersed in pre-incident planning technology, talking about it from a socio-technical perspective. So what that means is the people, the incidents and technology, how does that all work together to best serve the, the pre-planning needs of the fire service? Well, that's a good segue. And that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to talk about. And I just, that last two minutes, you've raised my IQ point uh, a few. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, okay. With that, we're going to get in, in the, in the pre-planning, but with your background in, in, in academia, um, but as well as what you, what you just said too, there's a lot of practical application to it. So it's not something so esoteric that you know, all of us that are listening to you and understanding what you've done, it's, it's very practical, a lot of the research you've done and, and what, a lot, and it's evidence-based, right? So the, yes. the evidence that you're, you're gleaning from your studies um, and, and your presentations and the, and the work that you've done, why, why should we care about it being evidence-based? Why can't it be just, well, this is how we feel. This is, you know, what it should be. Why is, why is it being evidence-based so important when it comes to technology and, again, specifically like pre-plans in the fire service? That's an excellent question. So when you think about it from the role of the fire service and how firefighters, chiefs, company officers are all involved in the pre-planning process, we have to specifically think about not only the individual but the organizational level too. And so I think Chief Bruno said it best when he said the first five minutes are worth the next five hours on the fire ground. The yeah. more you're the speaking more, my language and you cite yes. Brunacini. When you, you cite Brunacini and okay, you have me. <laughs> yes, I am I am definitely a student of Bruno's. Um, I think a lot of his work has really informed the way that I think about 
problems in the fire service. And I think he was really ahead of his time when he was mm -hmm. talking about some of these challenges. But really at the core, I think what we think about pre-planning, a lot of times people see it as a chore, right? It's like, I need to do this for ISO standards. I need to do this for accreditation. And the, the challenge is that there's a powerful opportunity here because when we look at line of duty deaths, um, and un unfortunately that's a huge part of my job is studying line of duty deaths, nine of NIOSH reports, looking at those and looking at the causes and some of the challenges that led up to a certain point. Um, I think the biggest illustration I can point out as to why this is important is because it continues to happen over time, right? So in 2016, there was a young firefighter, he was 20, years old, both of his parents were fire chiefs. Uh, he went to an incident at a strip mall and he passed away almost the exact same way that Brett Tarver passed in the early 2000s. And so for me, when you look at the whole picture and we're saying, you know, why does science matter? Why should we care about pre-planning? We need these evidence-based, these science-based measures and metrics to understand the pre-planning process so that we can do better. Uh, we want to prevent these accidents from happening. And it's an unfortunate reality of the job, but the more we can do to prepare ourselves for these incidents and these structures, the better off you really are. And so in terms of, you know, why does that matter from a scientific standpoint, there really isn't a lot of science out there on how to best configure pre-incident plans from an electronic perspective. We have a lot of challenges with people moving from paper-based plans to digital plans. Mm -hmm. What does that process look like for departments? There's a lot of different things that go into understanding this, but my background, as I mentioned, is in human factors psychology, which is really the study or the science of how people use technology in right. their work. Right. Um, and so when we look at, you know, why is a pre-plan important? having the understanding of how much cognitive load is involved. So when I say cognitive load, that's your workload. That's how much, you know, stress and frustration and and resources you're exerting to use that pre-incident plan. So and I so don't need, I don't need a, and, and so that's saying that I need a pre-plan that's going to work for me for what I'm currently managing. Yes. I don't need a blueprint. In other words, yes. I need, I need meaningful information to keep my crews safe. I need meaningful information to keep, you know, the citizens safe and then to mitigate and manage the incident. Exactly. So when we think about, you know, why is a pre-plan important? Really, it's because you're, you're trying to extract these key features so that you can make better tactical decisions on the fire ground. Right. And ultimately that's what it's for and so i think some people get distracted and they get frustrated and it's totally understandable given you know the the complexity and the challenges around pre-planning but i think it's really important to keep the core you know focus on safety and why we do this as opposed to the tangential well i need to do this for iso i need to do this for accreditation and i'm just trying to get it done yeah check it making it meaningful and relevant action. I call it actionable intelligence, not just a box to check so we can be compliant with some standard yes. ISO accreditation. It's actually going to serve me well when I have an incident of any magnitude almost, right? And we can, we'll talk about that in a little bit, you know, what some of the studies um, that you had done and right. some of the, the responses you got from the participants um, when it comes to pre-planning. But what... Um, I guess we can kind of, maybe we can even start down that right now. So what, what are some of the, the problems that you identified when it comes to creating that pre-plan in an organization, right? Creating a pre, not only just a pre-plan, but a pre-plan program so that it's not, and I cite an example from my apartment, we get a brand new big box store, whether it's a Safeway supermarket or Walmart, and I don't have a pre-plan for a year. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I think the biggest thing is not necessarily just to focus on technology, but a focus on what, what your department needs. And so I think a lot of times that might be missed, but you have to think about the different roles involved, right? So we have, we have different end users, depending on where you are. So firefighters might be collecting the data, inspectors might be collecting the data, the fire service is diverse in how this is handled. And so when we're starting from the ground up, and you're starting from scratch, and you're saying, you know, what needs to go into a pre plan, I think it's really important to bring that context into it and say, you know, who is using this pre plan? And then how are they accessing the data? Because that's the biggest 
problem, right? When we think about some of the challenges, um, I can go into more detail about some of the studies as we talk, but sure, I think sure. one of the biggest challenges is just getting access to that pre-plan. So finding that pre-plan, finding it in enough time for it to be useful, that kind of challenge is something that I think is really overwhelming and can be absolutely, you know, a detriment to getting a pre-planned program up and running. So when we think about it, I think really at the core, we're looking at a couple of different problems, but again, it goes back to that. I call it the, the socio-technical triangle. That's the academic gearhead way of saying it, but it's really thinking about the people, the incidents, and then the technology and how those all meet. And so when we think about it, we need to be cognizant of the people so who's accessing this technology and how are they using it? Thinking about the organization and the incident. So what do you do as a firefighter and why is that relevant to your pre-plan? And then the technology, how are you using people and the incident to kind of, how are you using technology to facilitate that information flow from the people to the incident scene and back kind of thing? So that's a great, uh, we have another, so our, our ancient fire triangle we used to talk about. Now we have another yes. triangle that we need to be talking about yes. for, for pre-planning, right? For pre-planning. You mentioned, so this, you know, um, one of your papers, um, failing to plan is planning to fail, capturing the pre-incident planning needs of firefighters. And just as what you're saying, your findings that were that locating the plan itself, the pre-plan takes an average of more than 60 seconds, right? And, you know, it's been a while since I've been on a truck and we had you know, three wing binder bound um, pre-plans and 60 seconds. If I'm in a department that has good response times, I'm at least a quarter of the way to the incident right. while I'm trying to get to the pre-plan. Yes. Yeah. So um, you bring up a really good point. So this paper that I, or the study that I ran was focused on understanding the pre-planning landscape because today there's not a lot of, again, as we talked about, there's not a lot of evidence-based uh, data out there or, um, you know, sources out there that provide this information. And so when I started this project, I think the the core thing that really got to me was I did a ton of ride alongs. And so I was just making myself educated about what firefighters do, you know, what's the role of the company officer? What's the role of the chief officer? How do how does the system all work together so I can better understand how pre-plans fit into this? Mm -hmm. And long story short, a battalion chief told me that he has to keep a flash drive of the local schools in his command vehicle just to be able to access that in the event of an active shooter or mass casualty incident. And for me, that was mind blowing. And I thought to myself, okay, well, we need to do better. We need to figure this out. So I ran this study focusing with my colleagues, focusing on this idea of what do firefighters need from pre-plans? What is that perspective? Um, and so I asked self-reported. These are self-reported times. So this, is, right. this isn't perfect science. I want to point that out because there are some things that, you know, we can't always capture ethically thinking about that. But I asked firefighters on average. It's okay. I will say yeah. I just want to say it's okay. You're, you're speaking. We under, there's the, it, you can only go so hard science with us. You yes. know, because there's always the, those those variables that are very hard to capture specifically. Exactly. And so getting close is actually hitting the mark, you know, right. for us, right? I mean, yes, this is know. real applied work. Exactly, exactly. exactly. So, what, uh, you know, what we think about, you know, basic versus applied research, we're really getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, how do do firefighters use pre-incident plans? Um, so I asked these questions, you know, how long does it take you to find a pre-incident plan in the first place? Um, and we collected some demographics and contextual data to better understand this. But as you mentioned, over 60 seconds is kind of an unacceptable time frame in terms of it's fire. Long. It's a fire long time. Yeah, exactly. And so that was where I really, you know, honed in and, and tried to figure out, okay, well, if it's taking you 60 seconds to find the plan, realistically, you're probably not going to be able to leverage much information because that's not accounting for the time you need to consume what's on it. As you mentioned, every department is different in terms of what's presented in pre-plan. So presenting a blueprint is not an effective way to communicate information to a command officer. Um, and then when you're when you're trying to figure out, you know, the bare bones of, of your tactics and you're worried about core things like water supply or, you know, I need to watch out for these skylights and make sure people are aware of what's going on. 60 seconds is way too long to be able to take that just find that, take all that information in and then be able to communicate it out to your team. Your right. Crew. 
Yeah. Well, I like this citation too. 76% of participants in the study were citing reported they use pre-plans um, when responding to structure fires specifically. So that makes sense, right? We need it for longer duration incidents, seeing where specific hazards are that can kill us. But right. um, I, I found that interesting that um, that makes perfect sense, but also um, there's so much need for pre-plan information on just even fire alarm sounding, gaining access to the building, knock boxes, lock, you know, you know, super boxes, things like that. Um, residential um, properties that may have pets that need rescuing, or it's a hoarder house that you know we discovered, or or whatnot. So there's a lot of a lot of elements to having data that's usable when you need it to keep everyone safe, right? Or at right. least reduce the risk, right? We, we not 100% safe, of course, but reduce the risk, right? Right, definitely. And I think that's that's one of the key things that the study really highlighted too, is what are the core things that the fire service needs when they're looking at a pre-plan? And then, you know, how do we how do we use this data as a baseline for the future? So that's what I really want to caveat this as. This was one of the first studies that ever looked at this. So it's it there's, you know, not a lot, there's not enough data to draw conclusions in the okay. sense of we can't make conclusive um you know statements about this but it was a attempt to kind of understand you know what's the landscape in pre-incident planning right now what are what are the not only the the major things that you need to understand but how do you perceive this as affecting your workflow and the fire service and if it's not working how do we make it better right so that's really what the study was focused on i like the quote you cited from a, a chief obviously anonymously but chief uh, the, honestly it should be bare bones you don't need to filter through fluff when stuff is going sideways yes and that's absolutely true. I mean, we we the point of a pre-plan isn't to overwhelm you with information. It's to give you the keys that you need to be able to drive the incident and get everyone, you know, where they need to be tactically and then get everyone home safe. So um, I want to get into the role that the company officer plays in this because I know we have that's where kind of like the, you know, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, yes. right? They're going to be, you know, the, the in the zero impact period, they're going to be the first incident commander in most cases, they're going to transfer to command to a battalion chief or higher ranking officer in many departments, not all, but many departments. Um, but what before we talk about the company officer's role, um, what would you say to those listing, they're like, well, what do we know the science for? You know, I already know this, or it's my gut telling me this. And, you know, what's, why do we need the science behind it to either reinforce or in some cases, you know, refute our gut instincts or what we, what experience has, to, has told us? Right. Yeah. That's an excellent question. So I think when we think about, you know, why do we need science? Part of it is when we think about what the fire service does in terms of tasking other domains have kind of figured this out already right so from a healthcare perspective we we kind of understand what's going on in terms of we measured this with physicians and emts and paramedics we right. we understand the workload law from the mil yes law enforcement the military f18 pilots we understand their workload we don't have a comprehensive picture of the company officer and command officer's workload we have a lot of you know studies that that look at these things in different decision making contexts but we don't have them in the context specifically of pre-incident planning so when we say you know why should this matter why should you care it's because this impacts your ability to do your job in the best way possible to be the most effective incident commander that you can be and so when we think about that and you say okay well duh obviously i mean all of these things are important why should why should i care it's because we need to know this so that we can standardize this across the fire service and make this useful for you because a lot of times you'll hear well our department doesn't really use pre-plans they're useless they're too hard to find we can't pull them up those kinds of things and it's you know that's a missed opportunity here totally. um in I mean terms of training in terms of being able to effectively manage an incident, there's so many variables that go into that. Well, what about, you know, what about, and then we're going to, this is a perfect segue to good talking company officer stuff because they play such a critical role, right? Because they're going to yes. go to scenes where they might notice something, the pre-plan needs to be updated. And if there's barriers, so the science, right? Before I get ahead of myself here, the science, right? I can, I can visualize why, and this wasn't that long ago, a little bit long ago, you know, eight, nine years yeah. ago that, you know, why did I have a three ring binder with paper, um, paper pre-plans that 
when they got updated, it took a while to even get those updates distributed. And so I was always behind. And so did I trust it? You know, did I, no. can I rely on it? Right. No. And, and can, is that going to give me confidence to protect my crew? And when we're going to a unique, a unique, you know, property, a unique, a unique occupancy. And so that, you know, helps reinforce the science and then even think even more forward looking and you can kind of allude to this as well, but um, what's the, what's the cab of the fire truck going to be in the future, right? Right. Is there going to be a virtual virtual reality augmentation on my windshield as I'm pulling up to a fire ground or to an to any, even just a residence where oh my pre plan's telling me that oh this I watch out for the dog on this you know this in this this uh, residence simple stuff but then scale it up to bigger stuff what does the cab of the fire truck looks like look like or the or command vehicle look like in the future and the science is going to help propel that right yes absolutely so we can't move forward if we don't have a baseline to to ground us in what we're doing. And so that's a that's an excellent point. And then when you talk about, you know, emerging technologies like virtual and augmented reality, there is so much opportunity out there, but just because we can doesn't always mean that we should. And so having this data helps us set a standard or a baseline, as I mentioned, for understanding, you know, how is this going to fit into the workflow right. of an officer? How is this going to impact the fire service? And so I have some colleagues that work in the immersive space, and I do too. I, I've done a lot of studies in virtual and augmented reality. But I think the important thing to think about is, you know, what does this mean for the fire service specifically? And how do we how do we look at these technologies? If we don't have data to support the use of this, then how do we how do we get from point A to point B? We can't we can't make things better. We can't improve if we're not starting from somewhere. I like that quote. I think that's uh, Jeff uh, Goldblum's character from Jurassic Park. <laughs> we just because we can doesn't mean we should. Or yes, <laughs> and uh, you know that's you know, so true because I liken it to, you know, a movie with great special effects. Um, great. If it doesn't have a good story or characters you care about, it's just a lot of bells and whistles. It needs right. to have meaning, right? If there's a good story and good special effects that serve the story, now we've got something to talk about. And that can, that's kind of the same analogy here, but the technology helping us do our jobs better, like you mentioned. Right. And I think, I think the important thing to keep in mind as we're thinking about this is this idea that we're not trying to replace humans with technology. We're not trying to, um, you know, de-emphasize the role of an officer or an incident commander or, you know, boots on the ground. We're trying to say, okay, if we're using this pre-planning technology, how do we make this work for you? How right. do we make this fit in with your workflow? And how do we make it so that you can effectively consume this information and use it to be more successful in your next, like your next, you know, Incident, And so when we think about, you know, what does that mean in terms of emerging technology, there are other opportunities too for you to use these pre-plans. So an example of that would be if every fire station had a virtual reality headset with pre-plans, you could do walkthroughs and your mm. company officer can help train on these high hazard structures because I know there's, there's always someone out there who's like, I really don't know what I'm going to do if this building is ever... 100%, problem, 100%, you know, like you 100%. mentioned with the Walmart and not having the pre-plans part of my dissertation focused on a big box store and then a warehouse fire, because I feel like, you know, there, we'll go into de more detail about why that was, but those are two incidents where it's like having that information is absolutely critical to being able to successfully get through it. And so I think when we think about emerging technology, I want to caveat it as saying it's supposed to augment what's already going on, not replace it. Understood. Um, I think sense, that's, yeah. that's well, that's extremely well stated and it's, it's, it's reassuring and provides confidence to those that think, Oh, we're running less fires. We're going to you know lose jobs. As long as there's human beings on the planet, Yes. We're going to have plenty of work to do. Yes. And, and, you know, it's just, it's just how we're going to, how we're going to manage that. Cause pre-plans, I think that's a bit of a misnomer too. Yeah. Pre-plans are essential for your significant working incidents, working fire incidents, for sure. Yes. Hazardous materials incidents, but they're also indispensable for your less, uh, and I say in air quotes, lesser calls, right. That, yes. you know, someone else is having their worst day, but it's not necessarily a, a great threat to you, but you might need to know something um, from a pre-plan that can help make every, the whole outcome go better or faster, right? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's really what my studies have focused on is what are the important cues and clues that we could highlight for you so that you can gather that information quickly and make your decisions the way that you need to. 
So when you are on a working fire, you have knowledge and understanding so you can create that situation awareness that you need. And you're not just relying on, you know, line of sight information or, you know, we know radios are chaotic, they're not perfect. Um, And so only relying on sources of information that um, are optimal isn't necessarily the best way to support the fire service. Yeah. We're always going to be a little bit of a reactive business, but if we can add yes. a little more, and, it, and it's a cliche term, I know, but a little more proactivity into what we do, um, you know, the outcomes wind up being, being better. And I think the science will probably show that as well. I, I know I wasn't going to forget it. So let's talk about that company officer. Yes. So um, the role of that company officer in helping facilitate whether a department is thinking of going with a better pre-planned solution implementing a full-on pre-planned solution because they had either mediocrity at best before, paper-based at best before. And so what's that, from your studies and experience, what's the role of the company officer in all this? I think the company officer is critical. And I'll say that for a few reasons. I know it's going to be like, uh, duh, obviously you're an incident commander, you're first due, you're leading this. But I think the, the thing that's important is the the company officer serves as the mediator, right? So when you're you're running these calls, you're in charge of communicating this information out. And then also from a, you know, planning back in administration headquarters at the station kind of perspective, knowing your first due area is only going to help you and make you better. Because when we think about, you know, what's what's going on, the more knowledge you have about what's happening in your community and in your response area, the more you're going to have that proactive mindset and greater situation awareness, right? And I'm not saying, I want to caveat this by saying, I'm not saying you should, you know, um, focus solely on that as part of as part of pre-planning because there's a lot of complexities that go into it. But I think when we think about the company officer's role specifically, your attitude sets the, the precedence for what's going to happen. So if you have a poor attitude towards pre-planning, and I'm not saying it can't be justified in some situations, um, that's going to trickle down to your crew and that's going to impact you know your ability to get things done. Um, just likewise, you can also impact upwards too in the hierarchy, right? So if you're able to show we have science now to support some of these things, um, it's only going to help you be more effective in your role. Yeah. Like I always, that company officer is a special spot in the, in the fire service. It really, it really is. You're straddling, you know, supervision and pleasing your supervisors. Right. And so attitudes, right. And I don't know if this, this came from a firefighter, but it could have easily come from a company officer, getting the chief and officers to embrace the concept of pre-planning as a fire prevention and incident management tool is one of the biggest barriers. And that's amazing that, you know, this is 2019, that that's still something a firefighter would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think the big thing that I want to hammer home about my research is that it's very involved in the fire service, right? So I've conducted ride-alongs, I do applied work. So this isn't, you know, me as a researcher looking at this and saying, oh, I understand what firefighters do. I'm just going to go out and make my recommendations. No, when I say evidence-based, this is information and data collected from the fire service. Yeah, your credibility is established. You've worked with (laughs) our industry. So I just have to ask, are we nicer than Top Gun pilots? Absolutely. <laughs> Don't let them know I said that. Though. Oh, and, and if they ask you that question, are we nicer than firefighters? Or you just, mm. <laughs> no, I will say um, it's been a true honor to work with the fire service. I think, you know, when we think about, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but um, it's okay. When we talk about, you know, like what what impact certain things have on you and how you ended up where you are, Steve Jobs, he quoted and he said, you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect them looking backward. And I think when I really, you know, people are like, you know, why are you even involved in this? Well, 9-11 had a profound impact on my life. Um, I actually wrote letters in my elementary school class to the 9-11 firefighters, uh, Watkins Street, in uh, Brooklyn, and um, they actually wrote us back. They sent a letter back and they sent uh, a picture of their ladder and engine. And I was floored, uh, A, that they took the time to do that, and B, that that had, you know, um, that that moment in time just, you know, it, it really solidified this idea that we, we, we are all a community um, in terms of when we think about the resilience and disasters and, um, you know, these kinds of things going on in terms of emergency response. And so when I got to 
graduate school, um, I had always had an interest in the military, but I actually did an internship and we had a simulated wildfire and earthquake at the same time, which unfortunately is not that far from reality of what California is dealing with right now. Um, And so when we think about, you know, like, well, why does this even matter? Like, why are you talking about this? I think, you know, at the core, we have to find a way that um, this research impacts the story, right? Thinking about the story and what we're talking about, what what is the story that we're trying to tell here? And so um, I'm really grounded in this idea that we can't design technology for the fire service without involving the fire service. And I think that's one of the core things that research has maybe not necessarily acknowledged in the past. Um, in some of the studies I've done, you know, they talk about, well, people just slap a fire truck on the technology and say, well, this is for firefighters now. Obviously, we've got the fire truck icon. Um, and that's not the approach that I use in my work at all. Mm, that is uh, a lot of good things you just said there. One the story when you were in school, they wrote you back. How big a deal is that for someone in elementary school to get a response, right? That's a big right. deal. I still have that letter. It's still in my, it's framed in my office. Like that is something that I look at every day. You know, when you're, you're just having a bad day and you're like, I can't do this or I'm frustrated. You look at that and you say, these people, they did it. So you can do it too. That's, I love that. I mean, that it's always those little things, but the fact that that's that's just kind of our industry, right? Yes. Good guys, the good departments, they're going to, they're going to do that. We just, that's how we're all wired. And you got to experience that at a very young age and it's carried through you know, into your professional life as well. Yes. Um, and then what you're saying about, um, yeah, just, oh, yeah, that's how it works in the fire service. You know, we have this piece of equipment that's for either commercial use, slap a fire truck logo on it, charge three times as much, and there it's yes. good to go. And yes. so, you know, you're not, that the approach that you're taking, you're not, and again, this is not being disparaging at all, but it's not an academic bubble, right, that you're yes. in. And, exactly. And, you know what I'm saying? It's very easy to be very, it's a lot of work yes. to do a study, like even, you know, something that's not necessarily a novel in length, it's still a lot of work to do a study of substance and the research that's involved. And so that's, uh, that's an important part, I think, of what, what you're conveying here is that you're, you're not in a lot, you're not in, in a laboratory, it's not simulation, it's not a laboratory, it's science, but it's science that's really helpful to all of us. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. We, the, the focus is on the end user. And in this case, it's the firefighter. And so we really want to do a good job understanding, you know, what, what that means in terms of job tasks, but not only that, you know, like what, what are the things that are important to you and your job? What are the things that, that impact you on a regular basis? And then thinking about that and the complexity, I mean, firefighters are wizard to get to the scene and you just make things happen. And so technology should not be an afterthought. It should be something that that supports what you do. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to hammer home in the sense that, you know, this isn't done, as you mentioned, in isolation um, with college students as a convenient sample. This is really, you know, me thinking about, okay, what are the critical pieces of information that you need and how do we build better situation awareness and how do we reduce your workload and how do we think of all those complicated variables in less than five minutes because right. <laughs> that's all you got <laughs> well and, and that's it right in the response to it's five minutes and then of course you know i always like and you know the, the sophistication of pre-plans come into play when you're managing you know, battalion chief or whomever shows up in yes. the command vehicle then he has time to think he's in a you know in a, like bruno Cini, you've got you're in your you know command man, you're in a yes. quiet, relatively speaking, space to where you can surround yourself with others to help you make the decisions as the fire ground or the incident evolves. Yes. And so um, making it meaningful from the time of dispatch or before even the time of dispatch to, you know, a longer multiple operational period incident, I think is a lot of what you're, you're talking about here. And then that, that important period getting to the scene, the first arriving unit, having that, those resources, because a lot of the decisions made early on truly determine the remainder of, you know, the outcome, the remainder of the incident, how it goes. Yes. I think there's, there's another Bruno quote that I think fits perfectly. There's no credit cards on the fire ground. You got to pay for everything you do at the time that you do it. So preparing yourself, getting yourself the resources that you need ahead of time, whatever you can do. I think that, you know, that's only going to help you in the long run. Oh man, another, you have to show me where you got that quote from Bruno because I had not heard that one. So yes, yes. He's yeah. He's 
Truly, truly my hero um, from the time I was in the fire services and even afterwards, um, I keep a card, the world according to Bruno on my desk here, actually. So, That's amazing. Um, so a um, couple more, couple more questions on, you know, this has been really fascinating. Um, I'm looking forward to reading some, um, some of your other studies, but, but what, and this is something you, you, we, you know, you had mentioned to me is about the emerging, emerging technology and, you know, why is that important to consider while there's still some paper-based pre-plans out there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So when we think about this problem, um, the challenge is when we're, when we're doing research, right, we're, we have to be ahead of, ahead of the game. So if we wait until everything is figured out in the digital world and we, you know, focus on that and we say, we're not going to do anything until everything is hundred percent, you know, shipped and ready to go. The problem is we're already behind at that point. So especially in the fire service, when we're trying to collect this data and we're trying to understand the science behind it, it's absolutely critical to understand where you are right now. Like I mentioned, we have to have a baseline. So if you are using paper plans right now, that's okay. I mean, we we would hope that, you know, the fire service evolves and is able to leverage tools, but I know that that's not realistic for everyone. I want to caveat this by saying that, you know, uh, my studies look at different types of departments. It's not just, you know, the municipal departments that have all the resources. I look at the rural volunteer departments. I've looked at, you know, the county departments. We've, we've looked across the spectrum. But what I really think is important in the in this kind of um, critical period is when we say, you know, we're using paper plans, they're, they're 2D plans. Um, you, you're used to understanding, you know, maybe where the information is, but it can get cluttered and there's a lot of things going on. And then you're using the binder, right, which is like possibly the most ineffective way to find a plan in the first place. <laughs> Challenges with updating it, all of those things go into that. But as we we evolve, you know, we're again, the the focus on 3D modeling virtual reality, augmented reality, um, a portion of my dissertation actually focused on the differences between 2D plans and 3D plans. So if we yeah. give the fire service access to a virtual model of a structure, uh, what does that look like in terms, and this was a simulated incident again, because it wouldn't be ethical for me to go to the fire ground and try to interfere with the process of you all doing your tactics and and putting out the fire so i wouldn't want to be involved in in that situation to a point where someone could be in danger or we could you know challenge um the process as it is in a, a poor way um, but really what it focused on is understanding you know if i give this to you as an incident commander are there differences between the 2d and 3d plan and this was again a baseline study um, so there's more to be done. It can always be improved. We can always collect more data. But what we really found is that there weren't significant differences, right? So the fire service is able to use the 3D plan in a way that they need to in terms of understanding critical structures. Um, and then a lot of this came out of, so we collected, you know, actual metrics, so quantitative data, understanding time, um, you know, workload, situation awareness, all those things went into it. I collected those measures, but I also looked at the qualitative side too, to see, um, so gathering information directly from the participants and saying, you know, did this work for you? If it didn't work for you, what didn't you like about it? What did you like about it? Collecting all that data, um, because we're trying to paint a picture of what does this need to look like moving forward? Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, if we wait until we're already there, it's too late. Um, so when we think about, you know, why, why would a 3D plan matter? Well, you're able to see the cues and clues a lot more like you would be able to in real life um, if you're using, for example, the warehouse fire. So I'm able to see the skylights. I'm able to acknowledge where the water supply is. I'm able to understand all of these spatial relationships in a right. way that supports me as a commander because I can make those decisions better if I know where these things are ahead of time. Um, and so what we did find interesting, um, I compared a bunch of different conditions and I won't go into the you know completely boring science, um, but we were looking at what was essentially a GIS-based interface. So we had symbols um, indicating the hazards. Then we had a what was meant to mimic an augmented reality 
uh, type of interface. So it actually shaded or highlighted the different critical mm -hmm. elements. And then we compared that to a control, which had absolutely no augmentation. It was just the warehouse as is. And even the control, people liked that more than just the 2D plan, the 2D. because you are able to visualize those spatial relationships. You're able to picture in your mind what this incident scene looks like in a way that's more effective. Um, and so when we think about that from a cognition standpoint, you know, why would that matter? Well, a lot of this job is decision making and decision making fast and that quality of information that you're provided makes a difference. So when we when we talk about, you know, why people don't rely on pre plans, if it's not updated, if you don't have the information that you need, not going to use it. So being able to understand whether this 3D model has a has an impact positively on the fire service is a start um, in terms of, you know, why should we move in this direction or why shouldn't we? We need to be able to collect that data to determine that before we start, you know, building up this this technology and these platforms and making sure they work. Yeah, that I, and again, that part of the study was interesting because, of course, I like we're visual learners in our industry yes. in the fire service. So I, I found it fascinating that, you know, symbols versus an augmented reality where it's a shaded, you know, image of you know, on top of like a sun or you know, sky roof, you know, uh, skylight or something like that, or a door right. um, versus a sim symbols of symbology versus what we call annotations uh, and things and things like that. Um, it's very interesting. And, and then what ultimately allows, right? And that's probably where you'll probably keep going, right? Is what ultimately is going to allow for the better decisions, right? right. So yeah. You know, what, what's, science, what's evidence-based when it comes to making the decisions? Is it the symbols? Is it um, more of an augmented reality type, or just um, the shading and uh, of particular access points, whether it's doors or windows or skylights. And right. so that's su super interesting. Okay, so as we kind of wind down, but um, we could keep going for a long time, because um, <laughs> it's just fascinating. Uh, so technology adoption, because this does require technology, right? Old school paper, we talk about still in still in use, no right. question, better than nothing. But what what do we do? What do we do when we've got technology adoption, phobias, resistance, um, and certainly budgets are a component there too. But more of the resistance, right? That you know, why do we need this? And you know, why do we need more technology? And again, I think it's becoming less as as younger generations move into the fire service. But you're you've run into it as well, right? So what? Right. What do we do here? You know, how, what's, what's your experience and studies shown when it comes to that resistance? Yeah, so I, I think that's a, a really great question and a really challenging one because, again, when we think about the diversity and fire service conditions yeah. across each department, every department's going to have their own needs. And so that's something that I built into understanding this when I looked at this data and, the, in, in, you know, designed these studies with my team. We're looking at, you know, I understand that you can't, we're not building a bank app, right? Like it's unfortunate and inconvenient if your bank app goes down, but nobody's going to die because of that. In the fire service, everything is critical. Um, sure. You know, the technology failure cannot happen. And so I understand and I, and I, I guess I appreciate the perspective that we need to be critical and skeptical and constantly challenging, you know, what, what we're doing in terms of technology. However, again, I think that's another place where we inject science. So we say, well, we have these metrics that we've collected. We have these measures. We've ran these studies and we understand now what firefighters need and it's not paper plans. So we're moving away from that as much as we can. Um, and I don't want to say that I, I, I neglect to think about, you know, departments that don't have the budget to be able to deal with this or departments that have, you know, some organizational challenges but we're when we're just looking at the core attitudes that's what this these studies are trying to collect and trying to get at so if i collect this data i have an understanding of you know maybe it's not that the incident commander is opposed to technology they're opposed to the fact that they can't customize this to meet their needs and so it's frustrating for them okay. and so when we when we kind of dig down into the data and we identify those pain points i think that's a way for us to understand okay Maybe it's not necessarily just technology as a whole that this person is adverse to. It's more about they've used poor tools in the past. They don't have a perception of how this would be useful in their department. I mean, I understand chiefs have a million things to worry about. You know, technology failure 
that's that's something that you can't inject into the equation. But I think the the big thing to keep in mind is again, if we're doing this the right way, we're augmenting the workflow of firefighters, not right. working against them. Right. And I think that's the that's the important piece. And I'm not going to say I've figured out, you know, completely how to change the attitude of the whole fire service because we've talked about this. You know, you get two, there. You'll yes. get there. <laughs> <laughs> two things: firefighters hate the way things are and change. I understand it. We're all like that. Um, but I think at the core, what we have to think about is, you know, what what is best for you? What is best for your crew? And then how are how are we using technology to our advantage? And if you can kind of conceptualize those questions as a whole and the bigger picture, you'll see how technology fits into that. Um, and I think that's really where this data supports this idea that we need to do what we can to understand the space now and to understand where the space is moving in order to make those informed decisions and to really say, you know, this is the direction we should go in in terms of standardizing pre-plans, um, talking about those things, because um, when we look at, you know, what exists in the fire service, the NFPA standard 1620 is meant to be written in a vague way so that it encompasses all departments and can support everyone, but that doesn't help the chief with the nuances of, you know, well, what if I can't update my pre-plans as often as I'm supposed to? Those kinds of core questions. Right. And so when we think about, you know, what's the impact of technology, we're trying to make those those questions fit into the the greater picture in terms of, okay, well, I have these challenges and then how do I make technology work for me? Well, if I'm able to use a platform that allows me to update these plans faster than if I had the paper planning system and we have evidence that, you know, we need to move away from the paper-based systems, then we can be more effective. And I think the, the core thing is we can learn from other domains too, right? So healthcare has moved away from paper military has moved away from paper, the fire service can definitely move away from paper, but we have to be able to, to strengthen our arguments in that sense. And that's where that data and these studies kind of fit into that picture. That's super interesting. And, you know, as, as we as we wrap up here, um, the things you just said there, because uh, I, I took a little bit there about the technology. It's maybe not so much of their technology resistance. They just had a bad experience with technology and something new may, uh, and better may have come along. And even, even if they're not on paper, but they use technology, but it wasn't a good technology for say pre-planning, the ability, the ability to update them you know, on the fly, the ability to have everybody on the same page, no matter when they log in. Cause you know, even when we went to PDF based where we could you know, send them out and upload them to the MDTs, but they're still you know, server-based, yes. um, they're still uh, one step behind a little bit to making it that experience that is helpful, not only for the management of them, but also for the use of them. And, you know, I think you, you illustrated the, some of the pitfalls there really, really well, that it's not just necessarily the technology. That's the problem. It's the experience with the technology. And yeah. That's, that's the, you know, the technology could have been better maybe if it was not, you know, going past right. paper per se. Um, but also it, it lingers, right. We, we're very much, uh, how things were, how, how, what was our experience previously dictates a lot about how we move forward. And so, yes. you know, it, it can be difficult, difficult to overcome as, as you had, had mentioned. So as, as we close, anything else you'd like to share any, anything else on, you know, from your studies that maybe I didn't ask you about that you think is worth sharing with, with the audience as we wrap up. Yeah, so I just wanted to point out some things in terms of resources. So uh, the National Alliance for Public Safety, GIS, I have to really commend them for all the work that they've done. They've actually created a pre-planning library of symbols that's free for everyone to use. Yes. Um, so I can send you the link so that you can, you know, post that so that everyone we'll can that. get access to that if you're interested in that. Um, all of my publications are available freely online, but if you, um, you know, for some reason can't get access to them or you're interested um, in reading them, I'm more than happy to send you a copy. So I'll share my my email address with you um, and you're able to get in touch with me. I'm always happy to talk about pre-planning. I'm a pre-planning nerd. So <laughs> um, if there's some further conversations, I'm more than happy to engage in those. I think the thing that I really want to hit home in terms of pre-planning is if you're not taking advantage of the, the ability to use pre-plans in your department, that's a missed opportunity. And it's, it's one of those things where 
although it can seem challenging and overwhelming from from the onset, I think in terms of you know where we're going and what we see in the future, it's really important to understand that that when we talk about these attitudes, when we talk about perception, um, that we're really you know using these evidence-based standards to make decisions, and the fire service is taking you know positive steps forward towards doing that. And so I hope that with this research, you know, my research isn't the only foundation, but um, at least this conversation kind of you know sparks some things in terms of we have the opportunity to make a change. So hopefully that that change is moving the way that firefighters want it to. And if it's not, then we have the opportunity to also have that conversation and make sure that you're involved in this process of talking about technology, specifically in the context of pre-planning. Uh, that's outstanding. And I will <laughs> tell everybody out there, um, you will want to read her studies. I mean, I haven't gotten to all of them, but I will get to them. Yes. But the one that I had cited during today's conversation, it's highly readable. Um, is one thing I want to mention to people that might be resistant to, you know, scientific literature, it is highly readable and highly relatable to what we do day in and day out on the job, or I should say what I did and, you know, day on and what all of you are doing today on the job. Um, so, so give it a go, right? Um, just because there's not a lot of pictures in it, don't be resistant. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's um, it's one of those things where I think applied research is really important. And so that's something that I try to take forward with me. I also, this is something that I try to keep in mind. So every single paper that I publish is actually dedicated to a fallen firefighter. And it's not because, you know, I, I see that as a, as a place for um, recognition. I think it's important to keep this story alive and their stories alive um, from a narrative perspective. And so each one of these papers that I write has a has a personal impact in terms of I've read a NIOSH report and I've been so touched by what I've seen that I I feel it is important to continue telling this person's story. So the most recent paper that I have coming out is actually dedicated to Richard Sheltra, the firefighter I mentioned that passed away in 2016. Um, and so I think it's just really critical to keep that at the forefront of what we do because it's the why, right? It's, it's, the, it's, why. The, it's why we have to continue keep keeping up with this research. It's why we need to have the science. It's, it's the why behind everything. Yeah, that's outstanding. Um, Kate, amazing. Dr. Kate Capolo, um, great conversation today. Thank you. I look forward to reading that study and then catching up on your other ones. And for those of you out there that, you know, have are fortunate to have a chief that wants to know the why and have science behind um, decisions that he or she needs to make, um, you'll want to see, you know, Kate's studies and, and, and help them make those, help, help them bolster the things that you need in your department with science, not just because everyone loves a firefighter, let's give them that, or, you know, chief, we need this. It's, well, here's the whys. And, and, and your studies, Kate, can help provide some of those whys and help propel some really good decision-making across the fire service. So thank you for all your work. Thank you, Tom. It's an honor to be here. And I'm really, I'm really honored to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you today more about my work. This has been a great conversation. I think we're going to have to have you come back. I would love that. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kate. Thank you.